We have hit uh, mid-July, which means that it is time for resolutions. And the reason that I say that is because most of the time when you're thinking of resolutions, you're thinking January, right? The turn of the year is the time of New Year's resolutions. Most of the time that we talk about resolutions, we talk about them in terms of New Year's resolutions, as if there's no other time during the year at which you could have a resolution. But if you're going to check in on how are you doing, July is exactly the right time to check in. Do you remember what your resolutions were in January? No. So, it's time to check in and say, okay, were those really my resolutions? Was that really what I was intending and wanting to do? And if so, now we still have half the year, you're welcome, you still have half the year that you can work on that resolution and get it done. Now, the reason that I bring up resolutions is not just to guilt you about your uh, lack of commitment to your New Year's resolution, but also because this psalm, Psalm 101, is a resolution. You may have heard that as, as Jimmy read for us Psalm 101. You heard the, I will, I will, I will, I will, right? It's this resolution. And I'm going to, as we look at this and we see that the title of the psalm says this is a psalm of David, I'm going to take this as um, the, the resolution of a king, okay? This is the resolution of a king. That's not necessarily, there were people that uh, when we had our preaching meeting and we were talking about it, they said, there's not really, it doesn't say explicitly that this is a resolution of a king. And I said, I think it's a resolution of a king. So... If you want to disagree and say, I don't think it's a resolution of a king, I just think it's somebody's resolution, that's fine. I'm going to take it specifically because we see the, that the header is the Psalm of David, and then later on he does some kind of kingly things. I'm going to say that this is the resolution of a king, and that's going to be the lens at which we'll look through this then. The, the resolution of a king who's wanting to follow the ways of God. Okay, That's how we're going to, to view this psalm today. And we'll start right here in verse 1, this Psalm of David. He says, I will sing of steadfast love and justice. To you, O Lord, I will make music. I will sing of steadfast love and justice. To you, O Lord, I will make music. And you're going to see that this is, in fact, a psalm, right? A psalm means it's a song. It's in the song book. And David wrote it so that it might be sung. But it sounds almost like wisdom literature, Right? It sounds like the beginning of Proverbs where there's instructions to the son, the prince, this is how you should behave. And now we have this resolution of the king in this psalm, this is what I will do. This is how I will behave as king. Right? And he says, the first thing that he will do is, I will sing of steadfast love and justice. To you, O Lord, I will make music. The overarching theme of this psalm, of in fact, I would suggest, the intent of this king's life is steadfast love and justice. Now, we've been singing the last uh, couple of weeks psalms about God's enthronement, the enthronement of, of God over all of creation. And we have talked about God's righteousness, God's justice. 
And now we are seeing that this king, that David, as he's writing this psalm, and I think intended for whoever is king at the time, he is saying, I also, Lord, I have seen you as God of the universe being committed to steadfast love and to righteousness and to justice, and I too, as king, I'm committed to those same things. I will sing of steadfast love and justice to you, O Lord. I will make music. So this is, is the king, and he's, he's uh, recognizing his position before the Lord, right? This is important, I think. If, if you're going to fill your role correctly as king, it is important to recognize that you are not the highest of high authorities. Because when you have the king, the king is the highest authority in the land, Right? the highest authority in the land, but not the highest authority overall. And he's recognizing that. He's starting from a place of humility and saying, to you, O Lord, I am going to sing. To you, O Lord, I am going to sing. And I, like you, am going to put my mind to these things, to the steadfast love and to justice. But I'm placing myself, O Lord, under your authority. Under your authority. So important to have that proper perspective because if I think that I am the end-all, be-all, I get to do whatever I see fit. Whatever I want, I get to do it because I am the king, right? But if I recognize, or if in this case, the king recognizes that there is a higher authority, then I don't get to do whatever I want, right? If you've ever been like a shift manager at work, right, that you're managing that shift, you are the end all be all for that shift, but you don't get to do whatever you want because there is a store manager, or business manager, or owner, or somebody who is over you, who is going to check in and say, how's it going? Are you accomplishing the objectives that we have set out as a company to do? Well, I thought I'd take it in a different direction. Excuse me? Yeah, you know, I got tired of selling hamburgers and french fries, and so I thought I'd sell snow cones instead. Snow cones isn't our business model but it's more fun, and I like it better. So I just introduced it, right? He doesn't have the authority to do that. He's a shift manager. He's not the owner. He's not the, 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 the business manager. He's the, the shift manager. And the king recognizes, I am the highest authority in the land, but there is someone above me, and I need to follow his steadfast love, his justice. He places himself in this place. And then he goes on in verse 2 to say, I will ponder the way that is blameless. I will ponder the way that is blameless. That way in which there is nothing wrong, that way which is right and good, the way in which there is integrity, I, I am going to consider that way. I'm going to ponder it, meditate on it, think about it. I'm going to keep it before my eyes and see it and read it and keep it in my mouth where I'm, I'm just chewing on it and talking about it. In fact, this is not new. This was the expectation for all of Israel. 
All of Israel was given this expectation that they would be considering the way that was blameless all the time. When, when God brought them out of Egypt and he made his covenant with them on Mount Sinai, then he made these, uh, in, gave them these instructions also in Deuteronomy. Now this is the commandment. This is uh, verse 1. We're going to get to verse 4 in just a second, but, uh, but I want to set it up in verse 1. Now this is the commandment, the statutes and the rules that the Lord your God commanded me to teach you, that you may do them in the land to which you are going over to possess it. That you may fear the Lord your God, you and your son and your son's son, by keeping all his statutes and his commandments which I command you all the days of your life, that your days may be long. Hear therefore, O Israel, and be careful to do them, that it may go well with you, that you may multiply greatly as the Lord, the God of your fathers, has promised you in a land flowing with milk and honey. Okay, so this is, this is, they're getting ready. God has taken them out of Egypt and made his covenant with them on Mount Sinai. Now he's reminding them of that as they go in to enter the land. He's reminding them of that covenant and he's saying, I want this to be on your mind all the time. And this is where it, we, we hear these very familiar words. Verse 4. Hear, O Israel, listen and pay attention. The Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your might. And these words that I command you today shall be on your You shall teach them diligently to your children, and shall talk of them when you sit in your house, when you walk by the way. And when you lie down and when you rise, you shall bind them as a sign on your hand. They shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the on your gates. Wherever you are, whatever you're doing, they should be on your hands. They should be on your forehead. They should be on your door so that you see it when you're going out. They should be at your gates. They should be in your mind. They should be in your conversations. They should be in your conversations and instructions to your children. They should consume all of your life the instructions of the Lord. That's what he told them. He said, I'm going to give you this land. You're going to go into this land. And the thing that I want you to know, think about, and remember is my commandments and my instructions to you. That's what you're to think about when you go into that land. And so now the king of the land in Psalm 101 is saying, I am going to do exactly that. I will ponder the way that is blameless. I will ponder the way that is blameless. Oh, when will you come to me? Lord, I am the, the king here, and I'm considering your steadfast love, and I am considering your justice, and the thing that I am longing for, Lord, is for you to come to me. That's what I'm longing for. You know, if we are blameless, if we are walking in righteousness, then having that steadfast love and justice of God come near, we long for that. We desire it. But if you're not walking that blameless life, you, just, you keep that justice over there. But it's because the king is saying, I, I recognize that I am the under king. You are the great king. Lord, when are you going to come and take over here? 
I can manage for a little while. I'll manage this shift of my life. But when are you going to come? When are you going to come and get this done? Oh, when will you come to me? I will walk with integrity of heart within my house. This king is committed to righteousness and to blamelessness. He is committed to it. And he says, even when I'm walking in my house, right? Even in the little things that I do day to day, I am going to walk in righteousness and blamelessness. You see, it is, it is in those little mundane things that we do all the time. That's where the righteousness, that's where the integrity, that's where the blamelessness is proven. We want it, right? We want it in ourselves and we want it in other people when it really matters, when the, when the stakes are high. We go, oh, I really hope that they have integrity. Or I really hope that when the stakes are high, I will have integrity. But integrity isn't proven in the big things. It's proven in the little things. That's where it's practiced. That's where it's demonstrated. That's where we look and we say it is in the walking in their home with their family in their house that they have blamelessness and integrity. And this king is saying, oh, Lord, examine my life. Examine my life. I am making a commitment now that I want to be the kind of person that walks with integrity in my house. This would be a great New Year's resolution, by the way. If you can't remember what your New Year's resolution was last year, I'm just going to suggest that it was probably this. You, you don't know, right? You can't argue with me about this. I might be just as right as you. So this, I think, is it that you will walk with integrity within your own house each and every day, all the time. All the time. It is in that personal integrity that we look and we say, okay, that is something that I can trust, right? That's why we look at the Lord and we say, He is good. Because at every moment, He is doing what is right. He is righteousness. And so I can trust him. Have you had that friend that you were with and you went, I, I can tell them anything. I can go through anything with them because I have seen their integrity. I have seen them in the little things and so I know what, they can handle the big stuff. I know it. I know it. Because I have seen the way that they walk in just the little things, the way that they talk with their spouse, the way that they talk with their kids, the way that they talk with their parents, the way that they talk with their friends, the way that they do things, the way that they, even when they didn't have to, did the right thing. Even when it was hard. Even when it cost them. And they continued to just do what was right, and I can trust that. And the king is saying, I want to be that kind of a person. We haven't gotten to that part, kind of a king yet, just that kind of a person. That's who this king wants to be. He's making a commitment to it. And we have seen the contrasts, right? We, we want, we desire, we need these kinds of leaders, these kinds of rulers, the kinds of rulers that have integrity from the top to the bottom of their lives. Sometimes I think we forget that that's what we really want. 
Sometimes I, I think that we forget and we go, wow, they are a great leader. But are they? Do they have integrity? Do they have integrity in their personal life? Well, they're a great leader. It doesn't, their personal life is irrelevant. How can you be a great leader if you are not a great person? You can't be. You can't be. Well, they lie and cheat and steal. But they're a great leader. What? How could that be? How could that be? Well, they lie and cheat and steal for what I want. They lie and cheat and steal against my enemies. So they're a great leader. No, they are not. They are not. We cannot put up with that. We don't want that. What we want is a person of integrity from top to bottom so that when the big things come, we don't have any kind of question in our mind that they are going to do what is right because we see them do what is right at every moment of every day. They are committed to their own integrity. And this is the commitment of this king. I will walk with integrity of heart within my house. I will not, he says in verse 3, I will not set before my eyes anything that is worthless. I hate the work of those who fall away. It shall not cling to me. You know those people who say they're with you? Oh yeah, I'm with you. I've got your back. I'm right behind you. And you turn around when the things got hard and they aren't there? Guys, I thought you said you were with me. We thought we were too. See ya. I thought you had my back. They fell away. They disappeared. They shrank back when things got hard. He says, I'm not going to have anything to do with that kind of person. I'm not going to put anything that is worthless before my eyes. I am going to have integrity in everything. I'm, I'm not going to consider those things. You know, there are some things that it is okay to be ignorant of. Those worthless things, those sinful things, it's okay to be ignorant of those things and say, I'm not going to consider those things. I'm not going to put those things before my eyes. I'm going to keep them far from me. And now, once this king has expressed his commitment to his own personal integrity, his own personal righteousness, now he is going to express how he then will rule. And so in verse 5, it says, Whoever slanders his neighbor secretly, I will destroy. Whoever has a haughty look and an arrogant heart, I will not endure. This king says, look, I'm going to continue Continue in personal righteousness and integrity in my own house, and I am going to expect it from my people as well. And so those people who are slandering against their neighbors, I'm not going to put up with that. Those people who would destroy one another with their words, I'm going to put an end to them, right? Whoever slanders his neighbor secretly, I will destroy and this is where we start to get into things where I think, I, I think this is the commitments of a king and not just a random person. 
Because this person, this king here, has the expectation that he is responsible for not only his own integrity, but also the integrity, the righteousness, the right living and blamelessness of the people that are underneath him, the people that he's responsible for. And so this king says, the people who are slandering their neighbor secretly, I am going to put an end to that. What difference did it make? It was secretly. It was secretly. No big deal, right? Not a problem. I was just talking about them behind their back. They didn't know. What they don't know won't hurt them. It's not like I was going out publicly broadcasting these things. I wasn't throwing it on Twitter or threads or Facebook or anything. It was just back here. No, not even back here. Causing that division, causing that that, uh, slander among people that undercuts the unity of the community. So he says, nope, whoever slanders his neighbor secretly, I will destroy. Whoever has that haughty look and an arrogant heart, I'm not going to endure that. I'm not going to put up with that. Those people who are proud and haughty and arrogant. He says, well, no, no, no. We're not going to put up with that selfishness. We're not going to put up with that kind of pride in this group. We are going to be humble and self-sacrificing in this group. And in contrast, he says, I will look with favor on the faithful in the land, that they may dwell with me. He who walks in the way that is blameless shall minister to me. Now, we've already heard him talk about the way that was blameless, right? If you go back to verse 2, it said, I, the king, will ponder the way that is blameless. And then he says, and now, in verse 6, that the one who walks in the way that is blameless, they will be the ones who minister to me. Those are the ones who will serve with me. If you want to serve in the king's court, you're going to have to walk in the way that he is considering. That is the blameless way, the righteous way. If you want to work with the king, you have to meet the standard. And he says, that's who I want to have with me. Those worthless fellows, I don't want to have anything to do with them. We'll get rid of them. If you want to work with me, if you want to be in my court, give me counsel, I want to see that you are walking in the way that I also want to walk. I'm going to surround myself with those kinds of people. And when I look at that, I say, I, I want to do that, right? I want to have a king who is righteous. I want to have a king who is blameless. I want to have a leader, an authority that has that kind of, an integ- of integrity. And if I want to live in that kind of a place, in that relationship with that kind of a leader, what is required of me? Blamelessness. I have to walk in integrity. That's what we want, right? 
We want to have somebody who is over us who we can trust because they walk in integrity. We want to have that kind of a leader who is over us, that kind of a governor or ruler who is over us. We want them to be uh, righteous and blameless in all that they do. From their personal finances to their governing of their land. We want them to be righteous in all of those things. And if we want that, then we also need to live in this way. That we are walking in the way that is blameless. That we are considering and pondering and meditating on the ways of the Lord. That we might be living in righteousness also. Otherwise, what would that leader want with us? They don't want us in their community. We're going to mess it up. Get it all wrong. And so that causes me then to say, wait a second, if I want that kind of a leader, and I do, then I must walk in blamelessness and in the kind of integrity that I expect from him or her all the way down to the personal details of my life. I think I missed. I don't know that I qualify. In fact, to say I don't know that I qualify implies that maybe I did. And let's take the uncertainty out of that. I don't qualify. Even my own personal, very biased self-evaluation of my life reveals flaws. Blame-worthy situations and character traits in my life. Which means I am not worthy to live in the uh, society with the ruler who is blameless and has great integrity. What do we do with that? Philippians chapter 1, verse 9 says this. And it is my prayer that your love may abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment, so that you may approve what is excellent and so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. We are going to need some significant intervention in our lives, right? And so when Paul is writing to the Christian church, what he writes is, this is my prayer for you. It is my prayer that your love, that steadfast love that the king said he was going to sing about and consider, that your love may abound more and more with all knowledge and discernment so that you may approve what is excellent and so that you may be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, that you in the working of your mind might be committed to those things that are righteous so that in your commitment to those things you might be found blameless and pure with the righteousness, verse 11, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. 
It is through Jesus that we are able to walk a blameless life, not because we were so well-intentioned, not because we made that resolution at New Year's and then kept it all the way till July, but rather because we come to Jesus and say, Jesus, can you make me clean? Can you make me blameless? Can you make me righteous? And he says, yeah. What is there in you that is blameworthy? Confess it to me that I might remove it. Confess it to me that I might take it away. That you might be blameless before me. Verse 7 of Psalm 101, no one who practices deceit shall dwell in my house. No one who utters lies shall continue before my eyes. The slanderer, the liar, the deceitful, all pushed out of this righteous kingdom. All pushed to the side. There's no room for you here. Which is why, again, we must have a righteous Savior. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 23 says, Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely. May your whole spirit and soul and body be... ...is faithful, he will surely do it. Again, in Colossians chapter 1, verses 21 through 23. And you who were once alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, he has now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him. That's the work of Jesus. That all that was vile and filthy in us is removed by the work of Jesus to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him. That is the work that is done. And then Jesus says, now that I have made you blameless, I am going to give you my Holy Spirit so that you may continue to walk in righteousness. So that in Colossians uh, 21, uh, chapter 1, verse 23, it says, if indeed you continue in the faith, stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel that you heard, which has been proclaimed in all creation under heaven, and of which I, Paul, became a minister. Paul is wanting us to know that the way that you walk in righteousness, the way that you are blameless before the great and righteous king, is to have faith in Jesus that he will remove your sins from you and that he will cause you to continue to walk in his righteousness. Going back to Psalm 101, the king says, Morning by morning, I will destroy all the wicked in the land, cutting off all the evildoers from the city of the Lord. He means it. This king means business. He means business in his own life, and he means business in his community.
It must be a community that is walking in integrity. It must be. And I think that today, now, we must be a community. This church, the church of Jesus, must be a community that walks in integrity. A community that each individual is walking in in integrity. Because without that, the community isn't, right? If at any point we have any individual who is not walking in integrity, but is instead slandering or causing problems or doing vile and filthy things, then we don't have a community of integrity anymore, do we? Because each individual needs to do this. And as each individual does it, then the whole community together has integrity. And what a beautiful and glorious thing that is before our great and glorious King, who himself is characterized by steadfast love and justice. But if the church does not walk in integrity, then that place where we would otherwise have mercy, right? When we walk in integrity and there is sin, we can call on the mercy of Jesus to remove that sin. That's the glory of of what Jesus has done for us, right? That he makes us to be blameless. Not that we were blameless, right? We weren't a a community because we handpicked everybody and went, well, you have perfect integrity, and 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 so go ahead and come be a part of this community that has perfect integrity. That isn't how this worked. We looked around and went, yeah, none of y'all have perfect integrity. So we, all of us, as individuals, come before Jesus and say, would you cleanse us? And as he cleanses each one of us, he has cleansed the whole community, and now we have integrity. Now we have the blamelessness of Jesus. But if we don't walk in that integrity, instead of having that mercy that removes the sin, instead what we end up with is tolerance and indifference. Because if you have sin and you say, "Mm, we don't walk in integrity here, we're not concerned about that, then we go, oh yeah, you have sin, I have sin, we all have sin. It's a community of sinners. We are indifferent to the sin. A community of integrity is not indifferent to the sin. But there is mercy. And a community without integrity, instead of having justice that the king longs for, please, Lord, when are you going to come so that there will be perfect justice? Instead, all they see is brutality and punishment. Oh, you didn't like what I did. Boom! And they look, away, look around and they see this is just a place of brutality and, ju- and, and uh, punishment. But we want to be a a kingdom and a community of integrity so that when there isn't, we can say there is mercy and compassion here and there is justice here to deal rightly with the things that are blameworthy so that you may again become blameless and our community might be restored to integrity and righteousness. But we then, like this king, 
If we long for that kind of a king, we long to be these kinds of subjects, we also then must make these same commitments. I will, I will, I will always keep the way of the Lord before me. But I would add one thing to his I wills, right? Because he says, I will walk in integrity. I will, let let me read it and not uh, paraphrase because I'll get it wrong. I will sing of the steadfast justice, love and justice to you, O Lord. I will make music. I will ponder the way that is blameless. I will walk with integrity of heart within my house. I will not set before my eyes anything that is worthless. I will hate those that fall away, and they will not cling to me. A perverse heart shall be far from me. I will know nothing of evil. Whoever slanders his neighbor, I will not put up with that. Whoever has a haughty look and an arrogant heart, I will not endure. I will look on favor with the faith. I will look with favor on the faithful of the land that they may dwell with me. And he who walks in the way that is blameless shall minister to me. These are the commitments that we will make. And I will add to that and be continually dependent on Jesus. Because we recognize that no matter how hard we resolve that we're going to do this, like our New Year's resolutions, by next week we will have forgotten our resolve. And so we have to be continually reminded of it, continually putting it before our eyes and continually going to Jesus and say, would you forgive me again? I confess my sin. Would you remove it and again make me blameless? Can we pray right now for that? That God would do that in each of us and make this a place of integrity where mercy and justice can reign. Let's do that now. Oh Lord God, we pray for your help. Because it is our great desire to have a leader who would be perfectly righteous, who would be blameless in all things, who would govern with righteousness and justice faithfully. And we recognize, Lord, that we do not deserve that. We don't qualify for that. So we ask for your forgiveness. Father, I pray for each person here that as they recognize their sin and confess it to you, that you would be faithful to remove their sin and make them blameless. Father, I ask for that for every individual here that as this church community does that, we might be righteous and blameless before you because we each come to Jesus and receive his righteousness. Father, we thank you for your grace, for your steadfast love and justice. In Jesus' name, amen.